And welcome back to Your Lux Ran Out. And you know what time it is. It's March. We got a lot going on in sports. The obvious, the March Madness. There's some NBA news we got going on, such as LeBron James now being the second highest scorer in NBA history. We got some NFL and MLB offseason moves going on. Now that the lockout's over in MLB, free agency's going in a frenzy. And this is probably debatably the most wild NFL offseason we've ever seen. Most unexpected and very wild. I have did not see some of these moves coming. We're going to briefly talk about the March Madness first. Briefly get into the NBA news that's occurred. Mostly just LeBron, just pointing out LeBron James's performance. We're talking about a guy in his age 37 season, and this man's leading the league in scoring. Let's, that's unbelievable to see. So we also got all the moves, such as Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins, as well as the Dolphins stacking up their offense a lot more. The Chargers have built their defense with two powerhouse moves. The AFC West is loaded, and we got some quarterbacks with some new homes, so we're going to get into that right now. let's get to it so the sweet 16 started last night we've already seen some insane upsets in this bracket literally within the first day i think like the first day or two nobody had a perfect bracket anymore and my bracket was screwed as soon as kentucky got upset that that was just insane to see and witness and you know who's killing it you know who's killing it is saint peter's there's always that one bracket breaker and that is saint peter's this year they become the third team in NCAA history to make it to the Sweet 16. And who do they got to match up against this time? A team that I believe has a chance to make the Final Four, and that's Purdue. So will Purdue be a victim, or will St. Peter's continue their miraculous run? I honestly, I'm, I'm rooting for St. Peter's to win, honestly, just for the heck of it. You know, something different. But I don't see Purdue losing this one. I don't see another upset happening. I kind of saw the Murray State one happening. I the Part of me was like, you know what? This could be a game where St. Peter's decides to just sneak attack. And that's exactly what happened. I didn't see them beating Kentucky whatsoever. No one did. And Murray State, I believe, that one was their best shot to actually win in, the, in, this, in this tournament. But Purdue, I don't see it happening. I do not. And in other news, Gonzaga is eliminated with potentially the number one overall pick, Chet Holgram. He only put up 11 points, 14 boards, pretty impressive double-double there, but he did foul out with about 3 minutes and 30 seconds to go in the second half, so that was a huge loss for Gonzaga, especially down the stretch. It was 62-56 to 56 the score, I believe, and it just, you know, you lose potentially the number one overall pick in the NBA draft this season. He's just the Slenderman, just you lose a giant guy down low like that, and in that crucial moment, when you got when you got three guys for Arkansas that were just absolutely tearing it up, um, Note, Williams, and Wade, they had themselves quite a game last night. They were just working it well. Wade was knocking down shots from the corners. It was just it was it was a night for Arkansas. That's for sure. They definitely put themselves out there and said, "We are here." Um, unbelievable game for Arkansas. Duke and Texas Tech had a bash, but the, Duke came out on top. 78-73. Bonchero led the Blue Devils with 22 points, 7 for 12 from the field. He had a very impressive game. Bryson Williams for Texas Tech led the team in scoring 21 points. He was 8 for 16 from the field. 
So it was just a bloodbath going on between these two teams, and Duke came out on top. So Coach K's run in the March Madness continues in his final year as the head coach for Duke. So honestly, that's why I'm rooting for Duke to win the whole thing. I would love to see Coach K go out on top one final time in his last year. So that would be very special. And we had another number one upset last night too, Houston. Good old Houston University taking down Arizona 72-60. to So that game wasn't too close. But Houston had a 32-5 and record overall in the season. Takes down the number one seeded Arizona. And this game was pretty fun to watch because you just like seeing, you know, upsets happen in this type of thing. Like I said, this is probably one of the most wild marches we've ever seen in sports in general. And this is not just counting, like, the NFL free agency and MLB's lockout and all the free agency moves going on there. We're talking about a March Madness that really no one expected. Like, this, bra- this people's brackets were getting wrecked from day one. Like, I, it's usual, but, I mean, no one expected St. Peter's to be this far. A lot of number one upsets are down. People actually thought this was Gonzaga's year. It seems like you can never trust Gonzaga in March, but it seemed like this is the year, especially when we have the number one overall pick, potentially, and Tim as well down there. He's a beast. I mean, this, this Gonzaga team was it, and I just, you know, they didn't get it on. But back to Houston. Jamal Shedd tore it up for the team leading and scoring. 21 points. Him and Kyler Edwards both played 38 minutes last night. Um, Edwards dropped 19, 6 for 13 from the field. And then the final game that was played last night, um, Villanova, Michigan. Michigan's run is over. Villanova takes the victory of that 63 to 55. I'm going to tell you, Hunter Dickinson from Michigan had an impressive, impressive performance throughout this entire March Madness. He put up 15 points and 15 boards last night. Very impressive. In 31 minutes played. Jermaine Samuels from for Villanova, however, led the team in scoring. 8 for 13 from the field, 22 points in 35 minutes. Very impressive. So with the Elite Eight coming up, we got some very, you know, unexpected, of course, per usual each year in the March Madness. But we got some unexpected yet very exciting matchups coming up. We got Arkansas and Duke. I got Duke on that one. Villanova, Houston. I got Villanova. We got Kansas and Providence. I got Kansas in that one. North Carolina, UCLA. I think I'm going to go with North Carolina on this one. I just feel like the culture and the way they're feeling themselves right now going through. They destroyed Marquette. They upset Baylor. Even though they did blow the lead, they still retained it and they still kept firing and they were able to take the dub on that one. I feel like North Carolina could upset UCLA here. I really think there's a slight chance that could happen. Iowa State, Miami, this, this, um, this region is definitely the most shocking because Auburn fell to Miami. And we all thought Auburn was going to be a Final Four-like team. But Miami came out firing, killing them 79-61. to So I'm going to go with Miami over Iowa State here, and I'm going to tell you the reason why. I'm from Florida, and I would like to see a Florida team make the Elite Eight. That would be really cool. My favorite college didn't even make the NCAA bracket this year. They made it to the NIT. And that was not fun to watch because it's not the real deal. It's not the big, it's not the, it's not the main event, you know? Purdue and St. Peter's, I believe this is where St. Peter's run ends because I have Purdue as a potential top-notch champion. And that was before this bracket even like went down. I believe Purdue was a, t- a championship caliber team going into the March Madness. So I'm going to keep sticking with my plan with Purdue here. I'd love to see St. Peter's upset me, improve me, as well as basically the entire country wrong and continue to do it. Um, but I believe Purdue here takes the reins right here. Going into the NBA, LeBron James, age 37 season, 19th season in the league, 30 points per game, basically. That leads the NBA overall. 
We have some notable Lakers here. Kobe Bryant in his 19th season or later in 2015-16, he averaged 17.6 points per game. Kareem averaged 14.6. Carmelo is averaging 13 and a half this season. LeBron's averaging 30. He recently passes Karl Malone in the all-time points board. He is now second, a few hundred behind Kareem. And it's very obvious that this could potentially be possible that LeBron James, by the time he retires, is the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. I really believe it's going to happen. I mean, think about it this way, too. Look at the Lakers right now. They're, they're atrocious, right? They're atrocious. And LeBron James is basically carrying that entire team on his back to potentially even barely make the play-in bracket. So this is a team that is washed up in terms of old veterans and, you know, bench players that haven't really filled the expectations. This is a team with those older guys and guys who have not reached their expectations, a team that is violently brutal from shooting from three. This is a team that just looks sloppy on the court. They think they're all that. They, they just look like they don't care at this point. They look like they're waving the white flag. And I don't know how many more times I got to say Russell Westbrook is probably struggling the most out of any superstar Hall of Fame caliber basketball player I have ever seen in a season. It's not just for a month. It's not just for a couple weeks. It's not for two months. It's an entire season. Like he's shooting barely, I think, barely 10% from three since the All-Star break started. That is terrible, as you as you know. Um, so, I mean, you look at LeBron. He's taken more shot attempts than ever since, you know, his early Cleveland days, the first stint in Cleveland. And I believe that was his final year in Cleveland, too. Um, he's basically taking more shots. He's shooting more threes. He's attempting more threes because, A, like I said, they're a very weak three-point shooting team. They need someone to step up. And, of course, LeBron will do it if he has to as well as, I believe, deep down in his heart, he really wants that scoring title record. Which, who doesn't want that? Like, who doesn't in general? But he's out there to prove a point that I am the greatest basketball player ever. He's tired of the disrespect. When the Lakers won their their last ring, when LeBron got his fourth ring, he said, I want my damn respect too. He said that. LeBron James wants his respect, and I believe if he achieves basically a record we all didn't think had a chance to be broken until we saw... LeBron James and Kevin Durant, you know, as soon as we saw their talents offensively, they are probably the only two players that we have looked at and said they have the best chance. If Michael Jordan didn't retire twice, he may have had that all-time scoring record. He really should, he really could. Michael Jordan is probably the greatest scorer to ever step foot on a court, which basically proves why he's the greatest. But LeBron James, if he achieves the all-time point record, with four rings already and all the achievements he already has, it's hard to like ignore that he is probably the greatest player to ever play. And I hate saying that because I am a big Jordan guy. I'm a huge Jordan influencer on being the greatest ever step foot on a court. The problem is these two guys had different styles of play. They did. And that's what makes these comparisons hard. But I really believe LeBron will get a lot more love from experts and so forth if he gets that scoring title. And that's because it's a scoring title that hasn't, you know, it's it's been Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for since he's retired. No one's been able to come close to it besides Malone and Jordan and Kobe. Like those guys have basically are the closest people towards that record. Now LeBron James has a great opportunity to break it, especially the way he's playing in his 19th season. His 19th season, he's averaging 30 points. And this is what's helping him, the lack of help. The lack of help is making him score more. He put up 50 points twice this month. Twice. 
So LeBron is possibly, you know, and again, LeBron's possibly an MVP this season. He could be. They probably won't give it to him because they like they like the way, you know, Joel Embiid, Jokic, DeRozan, Morant, those guys. They like how they're playing. You can't just pick the same guy every year. But I believe LeBron James, if he continues this, he might he might sneak he might sneak in and get the MVP this season. I don't see why not. New York has lifted their mandate on vaccinations, which means Kyrie Irving is full time to play in New York. Canada is still a big question mark. There's still no vaccinated players allowed to play in Canada. So Toronto Raptors cannot allow anybody to come in and play. But we got a fully playable Kyrie Irving, if healthy. Kyrie Irving is now on the court full-time. He can play in home games as well as games in Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. So Brooklyn has a huge, huge upgrade there. However, Ben Simmons remains out with a back injury, and we don't know when his time's coming back. We don't know when he's he's coming back. It's going to be a day-by-day kind of process. Um, so Kyrie Irving is now full-time playing. Chris Paul is returning to the Suns as the Suns have now officially clinched the number one overall seed in the West for the playoffs after Devin Booker drops 49. This is another player, by the way. Devin Booker is making a case for MVP as well. 49 for Devin Booker, a guy that has been compared to being the next Kobe Bryant. He's been dubbed a lot on his early career, and he just continues to get better. He continues to be more of a threat. So the Suns are now the number one team in the West officially. And moving forward, we can see if this team can make their chance back to the finals and potentially actually win it this year. I believe, you know, I I really thought the Suns had a really good chance to win it last year. I love their starting five. I love Phoenix's starting five. But, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, a monster. But I believe Phoenix has a really good chance of taking it this year. Chris Paul's got to get a ring before he retires, and I believe his Phoenix run is the best possible chance he can get. So give it to Chris Paul, please, and thank you. And I need to see DeAndre Ayton play like a number one overall. I'm not saying I'm not trashing him. He's not terrible. He's a good player. But DeAndre Ayton in the playoff run will need to step up big time. I believe he is the X factor of this team. If he plays well, the rest of the team plays well. Chris Paul always plays well. Devin Booker is an MVP caliber player. Jay Crowder and Bridges, they do their role. I believe DeAndre Ayton's got to be a monster. And this is a guy that can knock down free throws. This is a guy, you know, interior defense is pretty pretty solid. I need to see DeAndre Ayton put up like Anthony Davis type numbers. I really believe that this is the time where DeAndre Ayton needs to wake up and unleash a major demon. He's a great player, don't get me wrong. However, is he a number is he like a number 1 overall like pick tal- caliber talent? No. He's, he's he hasn't made an all-star team, not an all-NBA team in defense or in general. DeAndre Ayton needs to really really get going. I believe if he cooks and he gets on a roll, this Phoenix team will be unstoppable. So I flipped a coin before recording because we have two off-season frenzies going on right now. We got the NFL and we got the MLB. So we're going to talk about the NFL first. Now, which team do we talk about first? Because there's a lot going on. There is a crap ton going on. The Chargers make some big moves. They acquire Khalil Mack and they sign J.C. Jackson. So the Chargers take a giant leap on defense, acquiring two absolute beasts. We know what Khalil Mack can do. This is a guy that probably, you know, he was always the shadow behind Aaron Donald. 
you know, as the, you know, the second best defensive player in the league at one point. Khalil Mack is just a monster. We know what he can do. When you play in a competitive division where your quarterbacks you face are Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr, and now Russell Wilson, you need a lockdown defender. And JC Jackson is the guy they get. And that was a you know one of the best signings, I believe, in this offseason because the Chargers already have an elite offense, you know. Herbert's their guy taking snaps. He's unbelievable. Keenan Allen, and they just re-signed Mike Williams to a three-year, $60 million deal. They got their receivers back, and then you got Eckler running, you know. So this offense is already certified. This defense now with Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, and now you get J.C. Jackson, you got Derwin James. This team is a threat. And the way we—we'll get into this in a little bit, but the AFC West is probably the best division in football right now. We'll get into that. Amari Cooper— from the Dallas Cowboys, he is traded to the Cleveland Browns. Dallas made a bunch of moves. They cut, you know, Greg Zerline. They cut Lael Collins. Lael Collins signs with the Bengals. Great signing for the for Cincinnati, by the way. Dallas originally said they re-signed Grandy Gregory as well, but he flipped on them and went to Denver. Um, they signed Michael Gallup as well. Although Gallup tore his ACL at the end of last year, he gets a five-year, $57.5 million deal, which can max out to 62 and a half. Dallas gets a fifth-round pick for Amari Cooper, and they swap six-round picks. So it was this trade is obviously just more about dumping Amari Cooper's salary. So now Dallas saved up a bunch of money, and they re-signed a bunch of guys. And they also signed a really good receiver in James Washington after losing Cedric Wilson and trading Amari Cooper. So I like that addition. It was only a one-year deal, but I like the addition of Washington. I believe that can be a real sleeper move for Dallas. Mitch Trubisky so far is the man of Pittsburgh now. Kind of a shocking deal, you know, two years, 14 and a quarter million. Um, no one expected Mitchell Trubisky to go to Pittsburgh. And the reason being is because they were so heavy on Deshaun Watson. They were so heavy on Aaron Rodgers. There's a lot of rumors going on with that. However, that does not happen. The C- it looks like Pittsburgh is going to settle with Mitch Trubisky and possibly, you know, they can possibly still draft a quarterback here because I don't think they're going to keep around Haskins and Rudolph much longer. I believe if anyone's going to go, it's going to be Haskins, but I believe they can draft. Um, they had dinner. Malik Willis had dinner with Mike Tomlin. So that is a very interesting point. And I believe Malik Willis will be the first quarterback taken. A lot of the analysts and a lot of the reporters that work inside the NFL, they are impressed with this kid. It seems like this guy's going to be the first quarterback taken in the draft, the way they're making this kid sound. So Willis had dinner with Tomlin. So it looks, I don't, I mean, I mean like I said, Pittsburgh has a very low pick in the draft because they made the playoffs. So will a team like the Saints or the Falcons, will they take Willis first? I mean, we guess we'll see. We'll see on draft night. Pittsburgh also picked up Miles Jack after he was cut from Jacksonville. That was a really good signing. Now, Jacksonville has gone off this offseason, and I'm talking about some, you know, under-the-radar signings, but one very confusing one. And the one confusing one is Christian Kirk got a huge deal. I'm talking four, four years for $72 million. This makes him one of the highest-paid receivers in the league. And he's making more than Cooper Cup, Mike Evans, and Tyler Lockett, just to name a few receivers. And he was, at the time, making the same amount as Tyreek Hill before he got traded to Miami, which we'll get into. Christian Kirk is now one of the highest-paid receivers. I'm going to tell you Kirk's statistics right here, and you tell me if— I mean, I'm not shaming him, but tell me if this deserves, you know, to be one of the highest-paid receivers in the league. 77 receptions for 982 yards. Um— yeah, this is great. Like, I mean, like, I'll take 982 yards from a receiver, but he's not yet put up 1,000 yards. Career year last year, um, he had 621 yards prior, prior to this past season. 
982, as I mentioned this year. He played in all seven. He, he played in all 17 games this year. He only started 11 of them. However, he got 103 targets from Kyler Murray. So this is a guy, you know, that's probably going to be, you know, the big man on campus over there in Jacksonville. It looks like he's going to do it. Zay Jones is another receiver that Jacksonville brings in. They re-signed Laquan Treadwell as well. They get a new tight end with Evan Engram. Engram was with the Giants. He also was a first-round pick for that franchise a few years back. Jacksonville also makes a huge leap on the offensive line, so that was very clutch for them. I'm going to backtrack here, as I mentioned before. Randy Gregory goes to the Broncos. The former defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys leaves Dallas, and now he forms a much more improved pass rush team for Denver. And I mean, this front four was already solid enough, and adding Gregory just makes this team probably the best front four in the NFL, debatably. I mean, he's got great talent, this kid Gregory. This kid had a great year last year. He's a little inconsistent edge rusher, you know, durability issues. He did have trouble, you know, staying off the weed, but that's no longer an issue in the NFL. He's never played a full season, but Denver solidifies their defense to another level, especially now with, you know, solid QBs with Carr, Mahomes, and Herbert. You got to load up the defense, and Denver exactly did that. The Raiders cut Carl Nassib to clear cap space, and they get Chandler Jones. That was a huge signing. I believe Chandler Jones really boosted that defense in, in Las Vegas. And now we got Devontae Adams catching passes from his former college teammate, Derek Carr. So they reunite as the Packers and Raiders make a deal. Adams did not want to play in the franchise tag. So the Raiders then paid Adams five years, 141 and a quarter million. Over $22 million is guaranteed at sign. So we got a nice little signing bonus right there. And as mentioned before, he teams up with Derek Carr. And, he, and at the time, Adams was the highest paid receiver, but that didn't last long. The Packers now dish away, you know, Aaron Rodgers' favorite target over the past few seasons. And they acquire multiple draft picks for this season. The Vikings looked like they're keeping Kirk Cousins, so they extend his contract through 2023 on a one-year extension. Carson Wentz is the new man for the Commanders. So the commander is now Carson Wentz for the commanders, acquired along with a 2022 seventh round pick. And the Colts receive a third round pick for 2022 and 2023, which they can convert to a second rounder based on Wentz's snap totals. So a little incentive deal there. And the teams also swap 2022 second round picks. Hassan Reddick goes to Philly. That's a huge signing for Philly. You know, they need improvements on defense, especially in the linebacker area, and they get that man with Reddick. They do cut Fletcher Cox, and they do want to bring him back on a shorter deal. You know, a cheaper contract. But Fletcher Cox, you know, he's a, he's a star player. He's, he's going to want money. He's going to want to get paid. Allen Robinson, this one was interesting. So after a down year from Robinson, and who can blame him because, you know, he played for Matt Nagy's offense, rookie quarterback that, you know, wasn't ready to play. Three years, $46.5 million deal with the Rams. So the Rams get another target from Matthew Stafford. He will be Woods' replacement because Robert Woods has now been shipped to Tennessee for a six-round pick. The team also plans to bring back Odell, and I believe that will happen. I think Odell really found his home with L.A. I think Matthew Stafford and him created such a good you know, chemistry in very few games for them. They did really well together. And it looks like the Rams, like based on reports, they look like they're trying to sign Bobby Wagner to replace Von Miller because Von Miller went to Buffalo. Six-year deal for his age. Very impressive. Like I was very, you know, shocked with that deal. Von Miller gets paid by Buffalo. So Buffalo improves their defense because they're already the top dogs in their division. They just took a giant leap forward with that with Von Miller. But it looks like Bobby Wagner, as of right now, could be the biggest, you know, target for 
LA, there's been rumors that he's met with the team and that he's going to go to them, but there's no official reports yet that he has done so. So Darius Smith goes to the Vikings. So the Packer now goes to the Crosstown Division rival in Minnesota. He originally had a deal with the Ravens, but he backed out and decided to go to a different team wearing purple, which is Minnesota. Chris Godwin receives the franchise tag, but the Bucks later agreed to a three-year, $60 million deal. To extend his contract, $40 million is guaranteed. Matthew Stafford gets a giant thank you from the Rams for winning the Super Bowl by getting a four-year, $160 million extension. So this looks like Matthew Stafford's career will finish in Los Angeles. And again, like I said, it's a giant thank you for taking us to the Super Bowl your first year here. So Stafford gets a nice little payday. So remember when I said Devontae Adams was the highest paid receiver in the league? Shortly after, Tyreek Hill gets traded to the Miami Dolphins. Now, this by far was another head-scratcher for me because you got the Broncos, you got the Raiders, and the Chargers all improving in all areas. And you get rid of Patrick Mahomes as perhaps his most threatening weapon. I mean, he's got Kels, who's, you know, the best tight end by far in the league, to my opinion. I don't even think Kittle comes close, but Travis Kels, and now you got Tyreek Hill, probably the fastest wide receiver in the league, gone. The way it sounded, it looked like the Jets and Dolphins were, you know, the biggest contenders for a Tyreek Hill trade, and the Dolphins were all in, and even Tyreek Hill said, I wanted it to be Miami. He said he basically lives there. So the Chiefs acquire the 29th and 50th pick in this year's draft. They also acquire this year's fourth-round pick from the, from the Dolphins and a 2023 fourth and sixth-round pick. So the Dolphins, the Dolphins end up with Tyreek Hill, and this is a team that's really boosted up their offense. They signed two running backs, Chase Edmond most notably. They franchise tag Mike Gusecki, so Gusecki, a very talented tight end, is back with the team. They get Cedric Wilson, who's a solid, you know, he's a solid slot receiver, and they really improve on the offensive line. They improve on the offensive line, especially Emmanuel Ogba, signing a four-year, $65 million deal. That was a huge signing for Miami. And now Miami builds a solid offense around a quarterback who's been questioned who has been doubted on, and this right here proves if Tua is the real deal. This is a team that passed on a Tua for Deshaun Watson trade. This is a team that now has Tyreek Hill, the fastest, probably the most threatening, electrifying wide receiver in the league, along with Jalen Waddell, who has ties with Tua back from college. Better offensive line, a solid improvement at running back because now they got two really talented guys and they get their tight end back. With a defense that has been most notably focused on, so their defense isn't so bad either. So Miami could be a threat here if Tua puts it together, because this is right here. This right here will answer the question, is Tua the real deal? He's got weapons. He's got an improved offensive line. Can this be Tua's time? Can this be the time where we get proven wrong by the former Alabama quarterback? We're going to find out. Now, Cleveland has a new man taking snaps, and that man is Deshaun Watson. Now, listen to this. The Browns are sending a 2022, 2023, and a 2024 first-round pick, along with a fourth-round pick in this year's draft, a third-round pick in next year's draft, and a fourth-round pick in 2024 for Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson also signs a five-year, $230 million contract with Cleveland, a, four, a nearly $45 million in signing bonus money. And by the way, that $230 million, all of it's guaranteed making it the highest guaranteed contract in NFL history. Deshaun Watson hasn't played in over a year. We are very aware of his off-the-field issues, and he might, he might have to serve suspension time. 
But when that man is on the field, we cannot doubt his talent. He's got Amari Cooper as a receiver now. This team right here, Cleveland, could have a giant boost on the offense. We don't know where Baker Mayfield's going now. But Baker Mayfield is no longer going to be the man in Cleveland. He requested for a trade, and Cleveland said no. And it was reported that Cleveland was out on a Deshaun Watson chase. It looked like it was either going to be Atlanta or New Orleans. And then all of a sudden, Cleveland just came back in the picture, it seemed like. So Cleveland is now improved with Deshaun Watson at QB. And this is also a team that traded their pick to the Texans, where the Texans did select Deshaun Watson. So Cleveland, you got a guy who's not Baker Mayfield. You got a guy who's not doing more commercials than winning games for you anymore. So props to Deshaun Watson on the big contract. We got to see where on the field takes him, though, because this man hasn't played in a year, and he still probably will you know, serve a suspension for what he's done off the field. The Indianapolis Colts, they have a new quarterback again. So I'm going to tell you the week one starting quarterback since the 2016 season for Indianapolis. Andrew Luck, 2016. Scott Tolson, 2017. Andrew Luck again, 2018. Jacoby Brissett, 2019. Phillip Rivers, 2020. Last year was Carson Wentz, and this year is Matt Ryan. So for the third straight year, Indianapolis acquires a veteran quarterback to, you know, make a change on the offense. And I think Matt Ryan, honestly, I like this fit. I think Matt Ryan needed a change. This was destined to happen. This was something that needed to happen, and I believe it happened way too late. I think this should have been a few years ago. I mean, Matt Ryan has not been the same since they took the team to the Super Bowl, and he won MVP. Um, Matt Ryan now is the man in Indianapolis. So Matty Ice is going to a land where there is plenty of, you know, chills going to Indianapolis to lead that offense. And the Falcons only get a 2022 third round overall pick. Jameis Winston, he resigns with the New Orleans Saints. He gets a two-year $28 million deal. So Jameis Winston will now look what the way it looks when he heals could be the starting quarterback again for New Orleans. And I believe they're still going to draft somebody. And how do the Falcons respond after trading away Matt Ryan? They sent Marcus Mariota, two years over $18 million. So Mariota, as of right now, is the man over there. So here I have probably the weirdest offseason ever. I'm going to just share again, just review the biggest, you know, the biggest and most notable moves. So Tyree Kill, Dolphins. Devontae Adams to the Raiders, Russell Wilson to the Broncos, Deshaun Watson to the Browns, Rodgers returns to Green Bay, Khalil Mack, Chargers, J.C. Jackson as well, Chargers, Amari Cooper goes to the Browns, Vaughn Miller to the Bills, Matt Ryan's the new QB for Indianapolis, and Carson Wentz is now the new QB for the Washington Commanders. Oh, and I forgot one thing. Tom Brady unretired. So Tom Brady is back with Tampa. I wanted to save that one for last. I didn't actually forget. I just wanted to be like, oh, by the way, in case you missed it, in case in case you didn't know, yeah, Tom Brady's back. So we all saw that coming. I did, I did not think, as well as many people, did not think he was just going to step away from football that quickly after his season ended. So Tom Brady will return to do another huge run and go for his eighth Super Bowl title in his career. And, you know, Tom Brady, you know, he does nothing else to prove. We all know he's the greatest, but he's going to continue stacking up the numbers. He's going to continue to impress us, continue to, you know, tick all fans off in terms of, you know, taking down his opponents. So Tampa doesn't have to, you know, Tampa does not have to worry about getting another QB or, you know, developing Kyle Trask to, you know, eventually become a starter. It looks like Tom Brady's staying. I don't know if this is going to be Brady's last year. I don't know if he's going to play, you know, for God knows how much longer. But yeah, Tom Brady's back after retiring. He said, 
Psych, I'm back. So Tom Brady, we got another year of him. So we go from one weird offseason to another. MLB. So we know the MLB is now officially out of the lockout. And this was a period of time where Tom Brady, Tom Brady's retirement lasted shorter than the MLB lockout. So let's get into some of the, you know, the big offseason moves in the MLB. And there's been a lot because there was a lot of free agents left. There's a lot of free agents left over from the lockout because it, it started so early. The first signing right out of the gate, Carlos Rodon goes to the Giants. Two years, 44 mil. He has an opt-out after this year if he wanted to. And I believe this is a solid replacement for the loss of Kevin Gossman, who went to Toronto before the lockout occurred. Rodon had a career year. He had an all-star appearance. He also threw a no-hitter earlier in the year. This guy has injury history, though. So it looks like San Francisco is willing to take the risk in order to develop and build up on their starting rotation, especially in a competitive division with the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Rockies all making improvements. Anilton Simmons goes to the Cubs, so I believe this is going to be their shortstop. After all the rumors that they were favorites to sign Carlos Correa, they just stick with the defensive whiz in Anilton Simmons. This is a guy who, you know, is not much of a hitter, one of the lowest swing strike rates, second weakest hit rates, but this guy is just impressive on defense. This guy is a guy that, you know, you throw him out at shortstop, you know you're going to get, you know, the, the routine play made, some amazing plays. This guy's a beast. Former Platinum Glove winner. Clayton Kershaw, back to the Dodgers. What I love to see. One year and $17 million, there's incentives that are involved. You know, there's been injury-plagued years for Kershaw the last few years. He hasn't thrown over 180 innings. 180 innings since 2015. But, you know, when you're one of the game's greatest to ever take the mound, and possibly the greatest in this generation, I mean, it, it it's deserved. You know, you deserve to go back to the team that you developed and came up with. Nelson Cruz goes to the Nationals, one year, $15 million. So this is a team that is rebuilding, but they pair Nelson Cruz along with Juan Soto. So that's going to be a very, that's going to be a very, very, very entertaining, like, 3-4 duo, maybe even, like, 2-3. But I believe the Nationals make a nice little, you know, little improvement with Nelson Cruz. They get a DH that's going to hit, you know, 30 home runs. This guy's getting older, but he just seems like he doesn't slow down. The Rockies, a head-scratching move here. Chris Bryant, seven years, $182 million. So this is a franchise that paid Nolan Arenado. They paid him a crap ton of money, over $30 million a year. I believe it's $32 million a year. They trade him a year later after the extension. This is a team that has a pretty solid shortstop in Trevor Story. And he's a, he has an expiring contract as of last year, so he's he was a free agent this offseason. You know, they could have traded him, gotten some value for him. No, they just settled with, you know, giving him a qualifying offer that they knew he was going to decline. So Trevor Story doesn't get traded when he should have been traded. You know, you want to trade a star player when you're not in contention, so you get, you know, some sort of, you know, value, maybe some prospects in return. You do something different. The Rockets didn't do this, but they pay Chris Bryant $182 million over seven years. And I know what this is about for Chris Bryant. It's about money and hitting in Coors Park. Very simple. And this is a team that's not going to, you know, they're not going to topple over the Dodgers, the Giants, the Padres. They're not They're not going to. So the Rockies and the Diamondbacks are really kind of, you know, the left, the teams that are left out in this division. And, you know, they get better, obviously. They get better acquiring Chris Bryant, and they also— did get Randall Gritchick from Toronto. So the Rock, the Rockies made some moves, but nothing impressive. Like nothing that's going to topple, you know, like I said, they're not going to they're not going to win first place. They might not even make, you know, the new play-in bracket, the little wild card bracket that they got going in. So, 
Chris Bryant gets a park where he's going to mash. And don't be surprised if he, you know, has career years or even, you know, leads the league in doubles because Coors is a place you want to hit as a hitter. But they, you know, they don't compete. They are not a competitive team for a big playoff push. So this one was also very, you know, it, it wasn't what was supposed to be. Freddie Freeman goes to the Dodgers. Boom. Six years, $162 million. So this move happens after the Braves acquire first baseman Matt Olson. So that was the white flag saying, okay, I guess Freddie's not coming back to us. We don't want to give him what he wants, which I don't agree with because that is a franchise player. That is a Chipper Jones-esque type of player in terms of being a franchise guy. In his last game as an Atlanta Brave, Freddie Freeman hit a home run and also made the last play in the World Series. He caught the final throw from Dansby Swanson and won a World Series with that franchise. So he goes out, you know, on a happy note. But you can't. You can't let that happen if you're Atlanta. And he goes to the Dodgers. You want to hear this Dodgers lineup? I'm going to tell you anyways. You have no choice to hear this. This is, like, stupidly insane. I remember I wrote an article when they acquired Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, the, the Dodgers, and I said, this team is building the Avengers. When you hear this lineup, it is the Avengers. So going around the diamond, Will Smith, a catcher, you know, solid power hitter behind the plate. Freddie Freeman's at first, obviously, which means Max Muncy will most likely play second base, which, you know, with his build, he doesn't look like a second baseman, but he, he's got some range. He's, pretty, he's a pretty, you know, impressive defender for a guy that, you know, that hits bombs like that. I wouldn't expect Mark Muncy to ever play second base ever, but the Dodgers have found a way to make it work. So originally the first baseman last year, he now will move to second. Trey Turner will be the shortstop after Corey Seager's departure to Texas. So now we got Trey Turner, probably you know a top three shortstop in the league. He is now the man over there, captaining the infield for the Dodgers. Third base is Justin Turner, very reliable hitter. He's been with the franchise for plenty of years. And then the outfield is you know Mookie Betts and Wright unbelievable um cody bellinger will be in center now and chris taylor will be in left so i believe now that will make probably aj pollock the dh and you know they can flip it around like they can put mac muncie at dh they can put chris taylor at second they can put pollock in left i believe that should be the case you know muncie gets a little break from defense but this dodgers team stupidly insane like and their rotation still great with bueller urias kershaw I think they brought back Danny Duffy, too. Like, this this rotation's no joke either. So this Dodgers team, you know, is favorites to win the World Series. They are. Castellanos and Schwarber go to the Phillies. So Philly has a big boost in their lineup. So we're talking Gene Segura, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber. You know, if Didi Gregorius puts it together, you got Didi. And if JT Realmuto, you know, he swings it well, this is a lineup that's going to be like... Damn. Like, this team's going to hit their way into the playoffs, but their defense is atrocious. They make no improvements. In fact, that's a that's a decline in defense because Castellanos and Schorber don't really move around that well. Like, they're not defenders. These guys are pure hitters. And these guys who had really, really good years last year, both were all-stars. And these guys can mash. These guys can hit. And Harper coming off an MVP season. You know, Gene Segura's been a reliable contact hitter, a guy at the top of the order. You know, Philly has a pretty scary lineup. The Marlins signed World Series MVP Jorge Soler to a three-year $36 million deal. So in a, a, a rebuilding franchise, making some, you know, sneaky moves. You know, they, they got Avisil Garcia before the lockout, and now they get Jorge Soler. So the Marlins pick up a big bat there. 
The Giants signed Jock Peterson to a one-year deal, $6 million, so Peterson goes to his hometown. And you know Dodger fans aren't happy with that, but oh well. Zach Greinke goes back to where it all started. Kansas City Royals gave him a one-year $13 million deal. The Braves boost their bullpen with Kenley Jansen, one-year 16 mil. I like the signing. This is a big gamble. This is a guy, you know, Kenley Jansen's on the decline in his career. One of the guys like, yeah, this this could be it. And you know what? You know, the Braves need help in the bullpen. You know, there's nothing wrong with bullpen depth. Nothing wrong. And the Braves had a pretty solid arm, and he he probably could be the closer or even the setup man. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to pay royalties to, you know, Will Smith being the closer, or they'll let Kenley Jansen take over that role. And speaking of bullpen depth, Joe Kelly goes to the White Sox. Now, this is a team that probably has the best bullpen in baseball. We're going to run through that. Liam Hendricks, probably the best closer in the league. Craig Kimbrell, setup man. They've looked into trades for Kimbrell. They've heard they've heard offers, but by the looks of it, it looks like uh, Craig Kimbrell is going to be a White Sox. They've got Bummer. They've got Crochet, Ronaldo Lopez, and Michael Kopak. even though I believe they're both going to be bumped as starters or possible rotation options. Kendall Graveman signed with them before the lockout. And now they got Joe Kelly, who's a pretty solid arm. I mean, this this bullpen is scary. Talk about guys that you can just rely on any part of the game that do their roles and fill their roles. This White Sox bullpen is gross, meaning this team is just a huge threat. And I believe they could be the best team in the AL. Now with that bolstered bullpen? Absolutely. Now here's where some big signings come in too. Carlos Correa goes to the Twins. Very odd landing spot. But we'll break down on how Carlos Correa got to Minnesota in the first place. But for now, $105.3 million over three years. Each year, though, he can opt out. So if he wanted to just play one year in Minnesota, then hit the free agent market again, he can do that. I wouldn't be shocked if he does that because he waited a while and it cost him you know, a bunch of money. Um, this contract makes him the highest paid infielder in MLB history. And then we get to Trevor Story, who signs with the Boston Red Sox. Again, another unlikely landing spot. But Story goes to the Red Sox for six years, $142 million. And this is a guy that is going to agree to play second base to pair up with Xander Bogarts at short. Devers is at third. And then young man Bobby Dawback, the young slugger, is at first. Again, could make an argument for possibly the best infield in baseball in the AL. This Red Sox lineup is scary, too. Now, Boston's lineup can be scary, too. We got Enrique Hernandez in center, Rafael at third, Xander Bogarts at short, J.D. Martinez is their DH. As I mentioned before, Trevor Story can play second. And Bogarts can opt out of the contract after this season if he wanted to. So if Boston can't keep Bogarts, they'll have Trevor Story at second. Alex Verdugo, the, sh- the, the short piece in left field. Bobby Dahlback looks like he's going to be the first baseman. Jackie Bradley Jr. will probably play right field. And then Christian Vasquez behind the plate. So this Boston lineup is a threat to the AL East. And, you know, this AL East division is pretty impressive this season. We're going to get into that now because we're going to get into some trades that occurred as well throughout the end of the lockout era. We're going to start with the Mets. They continue to add. Chris Bassett from the Oakland A's will join Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Tyjon Walker, and pretty much either Carlos Carrasco, David Peterson, or Trevor Williams in the mix for the rotation. Bassett earned his first all-star appearance with a 12-4 record, leading the league in win percentage among starters. So Bassett now is a New York Met. In exchange, the A's acquire pitching prospects JT Ginn and Adam Aller. Now this is where the frenzy like officially begins, because Mitch Garver gets traded to the Texas Rangers in exchange for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. 
Uh, Falefa is a very solid defender. He was expected to play third base, probably shortstop as well for the Twins. He can play both sides on the, le- on the left side of the infield. The Rangers needed a, another hitter. They needed a catcher that can hit, so they're willing to trade their defensive whiz in Falefa now that they have Seager at short because Falefa prefers to play short. And with the signing of Seager, it is just reasonable to add the catcher bat in Garver in exchange for their defensive, you know, their defensive strongman in Falefa. However, Falefa's stint with the Minnesota Twins did not last too long because shortly after, Josh Donaldson and Kiner Falefa head to the New York Yankees in exchange for Gio Urshela and Gary Sanchez. So this is a deal where the Yankees will take all of Donaldson's contract, which clears a lot of money up for the Minnesota Twins, which explains how they're able to pay Carlos Correa now because with Donaldson's contract getting dumped away, Minnesota clears a lot of cap room to get Carlos Correa. So the Yankees ship away Urshela, a guy that was, you know, a very big surprise because Andujar got hurt after his rookie year. Urshela came to replace, and he he played the best you could ask for. So Urshela was a fan favorite. He's gone. Solid defender. He's going to be the new third baseman for the Twins with Donaldson going to the Yankees. So they get a third base swap. Gary Sanchez is a guy who's been in the Yankees organization since he was 16. Gary's now gone after, you know, a very impressive rookie season. He just couldn't match that up again. Gary Sanchez fell off the map defensively and offensively, barely getting up above a 200 batting average, and the defense was just an issue for the Yankees back there in the backstop. So the Yankees, I guess, are going to roll with Kyle Higashioka as their starter. They also acquired a catcher from the Twins as well, so it looks like they'll be splitting roles. Now, here's where I think the Yankees went along with this deal. It was obviously very shocking to see both Gary and Gio traded away, but here's where I see it. Gary Sanchez has a 27% strikeout rate. Urshela had 25. This is last season. The league average, 23%. The Yankees were one of the top teams as a team in strikeout rate. Donaldson was at 21% and Falefa was at 13%, which is a huge upgrade in that statistic. This is a team that struggled with strikeout rates because they have, you know, they're the Bronx Bombers. They either hit home runs or they strike out. With Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Joey Gallo, this is a team that strikes out a lot. Gleyber Torres, they strike out a lot. is not much of a power hitter, so this is a little interesting that the Yankees are going with less power. But this is a guy that had 172 hits, more than Judge and LeMahieu last season. And by the way, he also stole 20 bags, which base running has been an issue for this New York ball club last year, especially you know advancing runners from first to third, stealing percentages. This team does not run. They can't run. Now, Falefa adds, you know, some hope into that problem. So the Yankees right now, it looks like they just, you know, they, they attacked pieces where they struggled a lot last season. And they signed Anthony Rizzo back. So this is another guy that's below the strikeout percentage in the league. He's below average. And a left-handed bat in the lineup to play first base. Again, another solid defender. This guy is a platinum glove and a gold glove in his resume. So Anthony Rizzo, you know, like I said, a top-of-the-order left-handed bat. Solid defender. This Yankees team, this Yankees team has improved in terms of their defense and their strikeout rate. However, will that be enough to push past Boston and Toronto and Tampa? I don't think so. I believe this team right now is a fourth place team. As of right now, the New York Yankees, I'm saying this right now with their roster right now, they're a fourth place team. And I didn't. I forgot to mention Josh Donaldson. You know he can hit. That's a power hit. Right, a power bat right there. But can that calf? Can that calf that keeps lingering, you know, stay healthy? Last year was a relatively healthy season for him. But the last few years before, 
you know, he didn't play a whole lot. So, I mean, Josh Donaldson is going to be a huge question mark, especially entering, you know, his age 35, 36 season. He's, he's, up, he's getting up there. So, I mean, this guy is the bringer of the rain. We know what he does. He's got energy, and energy is what you need in New York. Energy and confidence to play in Yankee Stadium is a huge, huge deal. Donaldson is a guy that, you know, he lives in that spotlight. Like, he wants that. He wants the energy. He wants the extra flair. And I believe him bringing that will, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a benefit. So going into another trade, Sonny Gray goes to the Twins as well. So the Twins add a pretty solid arm. The Reds in exchange get Twins 2021 20, first round overall pick Chase Petty. So Cincinnati looks like they're rebuilding and dipping Sonny Gray was just, you know, reasonable for the final year of his contract. Minnesota is reportedly looking for more arms. Here's a big trade, Matt Olson to the Braves. So this this happened before Freeman went to the Dodgers. So as soon as we saw that Matt Olson is on the Braves, that ended the Freddie Freeman era. As soon as he gets to uh, Atlanta, he signs an eight-year, $168 million deal. This is a deal that will run through the 2029 season, and he does have an option for an extra year in 2030. This is like a, it's a lot of 20s being thrown around in this sense. But um, yeah, 2030, he can get another $20 million option from the team if it's on the table. Now, this is a team that I wanted the Yankees to get Matt. Like, I wanted the Yankees to get Matt Olson, but it didn't happen. And, you know, the Braves, you know, this is a guy, if you're going to replace Freddie Freeman, this is the guy you want. This is a left-handed bat that can mash. Slug 39 home runs, 111 RBIs in 156 games. His slash line consisted of a 271 batting average, a 371 on base, and a 540 slugging. I mean... This guy is pretty freaking solid on the on in the box, and not just in, on, with his bat. I mean, as a defender, two gold gloves. He's a great defender too. So the Braves now, you know, they had the best infield in baseball last year. Each guy in each position had over 100 RBIs. So the Braves' first base issue, you know, they don't decline. They got a, a perfect replacement for Freddie Freeman. You know, Brave fans didn't want it to happen, but you know that's kind of a thing to think about. That's good. You got Matt Olson. You got 30-plus home runs, 100-plus RBIs in that lineup now. Again, with a pretty solid defender, too. That infield in Atlanta is still the best infield in baseball, ladies and gentlemen. They still are. You just flip-flopped Freeman with Olsen. That lineup is still dangerous. That lineup in the infield, that infield setup right there, still the best in baseball, no doubt. So as mentioned before, as the Yankees, you know, they missed out on Olsen. They re-signed Rizzo, which seemed like that was the most likely option to happen. Voigt, Luke Voigt, goes to the Padres. The Yankees get Justin Lange in return, who was a 34th overall pick in the 2020 draft. So Voigt adds power to the Padres lineup with Tatis out with a broken wrist. Eric Hosmer, you know, he got paid a crap ton of money when he went to San Diego. He's been a disappointment with that kind of pay. He's been disappointing, and now you can have Luke Voigt who can DH and play first base. He can mix between both. So Luke Voigt is a huge boost to the Padres lineup, and I believe that is a very, very solid addition for San Diego. And then, as I mentioned before, the Reds were rebuilding. They ship Jesse Winker, who's an all-star, and Eugenio Suarez to Seattle. Justin Dunn, Jake Frowley, and minor league pitcher Brandon Williamson go to Seattle. So Eugenio Suarez is a guy, you know, power hitter, but, you know, he barely gets above a 200 average. Big ton of money. So Cincinnati clears that. And Jesse Winker is a left-handed bat who mashed against right-handers. So Seattle takes a huge leap forward, and this is a team that was surpri- a surprise last year. They, have, they may have been, you know, the most surprising team in baseball if you disclude the Giants. You can even make the argument. Seattle wasn't supposed to win 90 games last year. They were, you know, at the All-Star break, at the trade deadline time, you know, they were, the, they were wild card favorites the way they were playing. And then they traded their, 
you know, their all-star closer to Houston, a, a cross-town division rival. Makes no sense still. I, I hate that deal. It's stupid. But Seattle won 90 games. And by the way, they still have two top prospects in their minor league system, including Julio Rodriguez. So Julio Rodriguez is coming, ladies and gentlemen. Jared Kelenic still has something to prove. Adding Winker's bat to that lineup, as well as Suarez, if he can put it together. It looks like Suarez will play third, and he'll be Kyle Seager's replacement. This team, for once, you know, leaped over. This is a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in over 20 years. They've never won a World Series. On paper, Seattle looks like they're ready to rumble. They look like they're ready to rumble. The MLB also agreed to a few new rules, especially to the start of the season, so... There are now going to be 28-man rosters through May 1st, and I believe this is happening because of a shortened spring training and they're cramming the games in because of the lockout. So, you know, better for pitching depth, gives pitchers, starting pitchers, relievers, you know, extra time to rest, you get 28 men. You now got two extra guys to, you know, put on the roster. Automatic runners are now back in extra innings for 2022, which I freaking hate because this is some travel ball, you know, baloney, right? This is some stuff where it's just stupid, to my opinion, and here's a new one, which I actually kind of like. This is what I call the Shohei Otani rule. And you're about to hear why, and you'll, you'll be like, yeah. Pitchers can remain the DH after being pulled from the mound. So now that there's a DH in both leagues, if the pitcher was to hit, and you call him, you know, the DH, he can still be the DH when he comes out of the game. So that means Shohei Otani, if he was to pitch and hit on the same day, he'd be available to hit for the entire game. So with that being said... The Shohei Otani rule is now underway. So as you can see, March is rolling. March is really rolling. We got the March Madness. We got the Elite Eight approaching, Final Four. And then we'll find out eventually who's going to be the NCAA champs. The MLB and NFL off-seasons are still going on. So we could see some more moves, although all the powerhouse moves seem to be out of the way. There's still some names to be thrown around. And as always, thank you for tuning in. I'm Julius Lux. I'm your host. If you're new here, thank you for joining us for the first time. I hope you enjoyed your first experience and continue to join in. If you're a veteran here, as always, it's a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Till next time, on your Lux Ran Out.